0: Please open your Bibles with me to Psalm 6. Psalm 6. And look there with me in verse 4. God's Word declares in Psalm 6, verse 4, Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Oh, save me for thy mercy's sake. That's the believer's cry. Lord, save me. Lord, deliver my soul. Save me. I'm lost. Save me. And do it because of thy mercy's sake. Lord, save me for Christ's sake. Now, when I see David crying for mercy, I see myself crying for mercy. When David cries out, O Lord, save me, that's the cry of my heart. O God, have mercy on me, the sinner. The words of this psalm set forth and express true repentance, that repentance that does not need to be repented of. True sorrow over sin, true brokenheartedness over sin, and a hatred for sin are marks of a sincere sinner turning to God from his idols as a mercy beggar. When the Apostle Paul, when writing to those believers there in Thessalonica, he said, one of the things that was evidence of their election was how they turned to God from their idols to serve the living and true God. My sinner friend, repentance is a turning, a turning from self unto the true and living God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle writes, Indeed, God's word declares, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world, it just works death. A God-given brokenheartedness over sin is the gift of God. In Acts chapter 5, when the early church was praying upon the release of Peter and John from prison, they cried out in praise and adoration unto their God for all things, including the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and how he hath granted repentance unto his children. Indeed, our Lord has been exalted to give repentance. Now, before we enter upon our examination of this psalm of repentance— Psalm 6, I want to show you a characteristic of true repentance preserved for us in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Beloved, do I, do you have true repentance that is God-given? Or do we have just some temporary sorrow over some particular circumstance? Well, that's a sorrow of the world which works death. But true repentance is brokenheartedness, that true, genuine brokenheartedness over sin that God grants to his people. Someone described repentance this way, quote, Repentance is taking God's side against myself. In other words, it's agreeing with God when he says, guilty. A repentant heart says, Lord, you're right. I'm the rebel. I'm the guilty one. But it also has this characteristic, here in Second Timothy chapter two look there with me. Second Timothy chapter two and look there in verse twenty five. God's word declares In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now, if a man tells me I have a repentant heart and then rejects the gospel of God's grace, that man doesn't have a repentant heart. Rather, he has a rebellious heart. Now, repentance is not some isolated experience. Rather, repentance is the life of Christ in the believer that gives us an attitude of repentance. Beloved, we are continually acknowledging the truth of salvation in Christ Jesus. But again, if a man tells me, oh, I have a repentant heart, and then rejects the gospel of God's grace in Christ, he doesn't have a repentant heart. What he has is a rebellious heart. Turn over there in Titus, just a page to the right. Titus 1. Now, my sinner friend, faith is the gift of God, and repentance is the gift of God. And they don't manifest themselves in the heart of a depraved sinner. Rather, they are the sovereign gifts of God, given to us in salvation. And faith, like repentance, has the same quality of acknowledging the truth. Titus chapter 1, verse 1, God's Word declares, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. The godliness that glorifies God. God forbid that we should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. My sinner friend, faith is the gift of God and so too is repentance. Indeed, they are the blessed sovereign gifts of God's grace to us in Christ. And so I cry unto the Lord, Lord, give me faith. Lord, grant me repentance. Give me brokenheartedness over my sin. All right, Psalm 6. Psalm 6. This psalm is a psalm that sets forth repentance. And we see here two divisions. In verse 1 through to verse 7, we see David's plea, David's great distress. And then in verse 8 through to verse 10, we have David's confidence in the Lord's deliverance, David's confidence in the Lord's mercy. Now let's look at that first division in verses 1 through 7. Here we see the sinner's distress and grief over his sin against God. And my sinner friend, that's the issue. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all come short of God's standard. What is his standard? Absolute holiness, absolute perfection to the law of God. Indeed, the benchmark of God's law is so high so as to cause us to despair, wounding us in such a way as to drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ for all our help and salvation. William Huntington said, quote, A person may have had law terrors, and yet be a stranger to justification. Salvation lies not in Moses' rod, but rather in Christ's balm. It is Moses that gives the wound, but Christ the cure. All right, verse 1. Psalm 6, verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger... Rather, rebuke me in love, neither chasten me in your hot displeasure. Beloved, the Lord in love graciously rebukes his children, his people. And we need to be rebuked. We need his chastening rod, as we read in Hebrews chapter 12, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He corrects and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Beloved, he convinces us of what we are. What are we? Sin. Every part of me, sin. Indeed, in my flesh, no good thing dwells. And so God convinces us and convicts us of what we are. Now, there are two means that God uses in rebuking us in love. First, he uses the rod of his word. God's word declares... The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And second, the rod of his spirit. Our Lord said, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me of righteousness because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more, of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged. Our Lord said, The Spirit will convict, and He will rebuke. My sinner friend, I can't convince you that you are a sinner, but I know God the Holy Spirit can, for He's able to convict, to convince His people of who we are and what we are before the true and living Holy God but he does this unto his own children. It's a rebuke and chastening of his love. Just as a father chastens his children, even so the Lord chastens those whom he loves. Conversely, the Lord rebukes the reprobate in his holy anger and will justly condemn and rebuke them in his wrath. Look over there in Psalm 2, just on the next page to your left in verse 5 we see here God's word declaring, Then shall the Lord speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. And in Psalm 7, verse 11, just turn over there a page, we read God's word declaring, God God judgeth the righteous as the only righteous judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If a sinner does not turn, Verse twelve If he turn not, he will wet his sword, he hath bent his bow, and God has made it ready. Judgments coming. The Lord rebukes with respect to the redeemed in Christ in love. With respect to the reprobate, he does it in his wrath. Beloved, the Lord rebukes His children in love. And I'm most thankful that He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He doesn't leave us alone. That is, it is God who convicts. It is God who convinces us of sin. And my sinner friend, in love, He'll show you there is no other Savior save the Lord Jesus Christ. To whom else can we go to find one who is so able to save to the uttermost? And so the believer Confesses, Lord, it's true what you say, and by your, your grace in Christ, I judge myself that I too should not be judged. I'm a sinner. I'm sinful. I've broken your law. Now, Lord, I beg you. Verse 2. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for that's the only plea I have. For I am weak. I'm sinful. O Lord, heal me. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, and heal me, for my bones are vexed. I'm troubled, Lord. Have mercy upon me, not because I deserve it, but rather because you're merciful. David said over there in Psalm 51, another psalm of repentance, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me truly completely from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speak, and be clear when thou judge. I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And so, We cry out for mercy. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. And then he says, heal me. Lord, heal me because I'm so weak. I'm so sinful. I'm so guilty. Heal me for I am weak. How weak are we? Well, too weak to honor the law. The law is strong. It's demanding. I'm weak, too weak to honor the law. How weak are we? Too weak and too sinful to produce any righteousness of our own. Indeed, man at his best state is altogether vanity. My sinner friend, don't you know? All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. And so consequently, I don't look to my flesh, but only cry, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me. Turn with me over to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 13. God's word declares, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. And if the wind passeth over it, it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto the children's children. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, and heal me. God's word declares by the mouth of the prophet Hosea, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. Beloved, the good shepherd, he came to heal, to bind up, to set at liberty the poor, to set the captive free. He is our good shepherd, so we ever and only look to him for healing, for with his stripes we are healed. Oh, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I'm weak. Every beloved believing sinner knows exactly what David is crying here unto the Lord. Heal me, for my bones are vexed. I'm shaken to my very core. My flesh is vexed. Verse 3. My soul is also vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Matthew Henry said, quote, Every page of Scripture proclaims the fact that salvation is only of the Lord. Man is a sinner and his case, is, his case can only be reached by God's sovereign mercy. My soul is so vexed, but thou, O oh Lord, how long? How long? I'm vexed, I'm convicted, I'm shaken, and David cries out, O oh Lord, how long? How long till the Lord is pleased to send Christ into my, our soul? How long till I see my sin completely put away? By the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. How long? How long until God, in His infinite wisdom, sends relief to my soul in Christ, bathing my soul in the blood of Christ, making me a new creature in Him? Lord, how long? Beloved, the Lord knows the time of our humiliation, the Lord knows the time of our conviction. And he knows the time of our comfort, indeed, the time of our exaltation in Christ Jesus. Turn with me to Psalm 34. Verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And he saves such as be of a contrite spirit. Now, my friend, there's not many things that are useful that are broken. A broken wheel won't turn. A broken down car won't get you anywhere. But I'll tell you what is good. And it's good only because it's God given. And that's a broken heart. Beloved, a broken heart God will not despise. All right, Psalm 6, verse 4. Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Don't leave me to myself. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. And so we see here David begging for a return of the Lord's gracious presence, God's deliverance and redemption of his soul. Oh, save me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. You see, David knew something of the strictness of the law and the demand that it has for absolute perfection. And further, he knew something of the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and his once-for-all saving atonement and his mercy. So David appeals unto God not on the basis of covenant law, but upon the basis of covenant mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God. Jeremiah lamented in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. Beloved, great is his faithfulness. That's what the Apostle Paul writes to Titus. Our salvation is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And we see David appealing to that same mercy. Beloved, this is our plea, the plea of the sinner. And we can read it this way. Lord, O Lord, save me for Christ's sake. Have mercy upon me for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. We ask for mercy and salvation, not upon our own merit. We have none. In fact, we have quite the opposite. All we have is, is demerit. But, O oh Lord, upon your grace and loving Christ Jesus, save me. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is taking care of the law issue and the perfect righteousness it demands, He's redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He taken care of the sin issue, for he appeared once at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And he's taking care of the death issue. For he ever liveth to intercede for us. He said, I'm he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. David is saying here, in effect, I'm going to cry out to God to save me for Christ's sake. Psalm 6, verse 5. For in death there's no remembrance of thee in the grave. Who shall give thee thanks? Now, there are some who twist this verse along with other verses found in Scripture to suggest that the believer in death does not go to be with his Lord, but rather remains in the grave until the day of resurrection. Well, if you have ears to hear my Lord, you know that that kind of teaching is just flat wrong. What did our Lord say to that one who believed on the cross? Verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And Brother Paul, what did he write? We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So this verse is not teaching that David will remain in in the grave until the day of resurrection. Rather, what is being said here is this, that in death, the mortal flesh ceases any audible praise and service to God and men in this life. Just go out to any local cemetery. You know, it's a place that's pretty quiet. In that place, there's nobody praising the Lord, just dead bodies, dead, cold, and rotting. Beloved, when death takes hold of this body, the flesh ceases any audible praise and service to God and men. Indeed, the graveyard is a place of complete silence. So David is saying in effect, Lord, save me now that I might praise thee while I have breath, while I have being. Turn with me to Psalm 88. Beloved, the soul of the believer at death Enters into the immediate presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that's what may be seen here in Psalm 88. In verse 10, we read these words Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Verse 11 Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave, or thy faithfulness in destruction? Beloved, what's being talked about here is about what happens to this body when this body is put into the ground, when this flesh goes back to dust. But the soul of the believer at death enters into the immediate presence of the Lord. Paul said, To live is Christ, to die is gain. If we just ended up in the grave, that would not be gain. Psalm 6. Verse 6. I am weary with my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Beloved, we groan under conviction of sin. We groan under the weight and judgment of sin until we see and understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, how that He took our judgment. He took our sin and He made a complete satisfaction for all our sins. And beloved, He blesses us with all spiritual blessing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, putting away all our sin by the sacrifice of Himself once and for all. But, my sinner friend, we will never rightly rejoice in Christ, our complete righteousness, until we see something of our complete ruin in Adam. Beloved, we will never rejoice in Christ our Savior until we understand something of our own sin. When Paul, when he was that old, unsafe Saul of Tarsus, when he was stripped, when he was laid in the dust and made to cry for mercy unto God, he still continues to cry out as our brother in Christ, O wretched man that I am! Who shall, who is able to deliver me from the body of this death. Praise the Lord. The answer comes back again and again. <laughs> I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, for he has saved me. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look there with me in verse 7. Psalm 6 verse 7. Mine eye is consumed because of grief, it waxeth old because of all mine enemies. David's eyes, so fixed upon his sin, caused him to be filled, to be consumed with grief, and being so consumed with grief over sin, He was made to know and feel his helplessness before God because of all his spiritual enemies that railed against him. Now, my sinner friend, that's the experience of a believer. It's no light thing to feel and know yourself a sinner before Almighty God. It's a blessed thing, but it's no light thing. Rather, it's a heavy thing. Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Our brother Isaiah had the same experience when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I deserve God's wrath. O Lord, have mercy upon me. And we see something else here in Psalm 6, verse 7. The testimony of Christ, the greater David, is seen here. The Lord Jesus Christ can be seen here in this verse. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Beloved, can you not see something of the Lord Jesus Christ here? The Lord Jesus, when praying for us in the Garden of Gethsemane, and being in such agony. My friend, we don't know anything about that agony. As the father begins to lay on him, his beloved son, all our iniquity and all our sin being made sin for us, the one who is holy humanity, under the weight of that sin being put on him, his holy humanity, and he just starts sweating great drops of blood. My sinner friend, That's real agony over sin. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read, Beloved, ye have not resisted unto blood. Ye have not resisted unto death, striving against sin. But our Lord did. Our Lord did. All right, as we draw to a close, let's look at the second division of the psalm by looking at verse 8 through to verse 10. And we see here something of the believer's confidence in deliverance from sin. Verse 8, Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. We hear the Lord saying the very same thing, don't we, in Matthew chapter 7. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Here we see David's confidence, the believing sinner's confidence in his Lord. Beloved, it's God's purpose for his people in this life to live among workers of iniquity. We see the sheep among the goats, and the tares among the wheat. Lot lived among the perverted in Sodom. David lived among those who hated the living God. David records how the heathen mocked him, saying, Where is now your God? And he said to them, Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And indeed, our Lord Jesus Christ lived among those who hated God, those Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes. Paul preached the gospel to thousands who were idolaters. And beloved, we live among workers of iniquity, but someday there will be a full, final, and just separation when the Lord gathers his sheep together on the right and the goats on the left, and he'll say to his sheep, them that hear his voice and follow him, enter into the joy of the Lord. The Lord will separate the chaff from the wheat, and he will separate the goats from the sheep. My friend, there is a coming day of separation. Indeed, there will be a day of separation. Verse 8, Psalm 6, the latter part of verse 8. For the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. Beloved, is it not a comfort to know that our tears are understood? Even when words fail, God knows our heart. That's what David, in effect, is saying here. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Verse 9. The Lord hath heard my supplication, my prayer. The Lord will receive my prayer. We're told in the book of Philippians to let our request be made known unto God. The Lord hath heard my prayer. The Lord has heard my request. David is saying, in effect, the Lord hath heard my prayer because he is the true And the living God who can hear and that answers the cry of his people. The Lord will certainly answer the cry of his people as he did the prayer of Elijah. When he prayed for the fire to fall, do you remember what happened? The fire fell. And Luke 18, the Lord declares, And shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto, unto him, though he bear long with them? Beloved, our Lord hears the cry of his people. I want to cry. I'm going to cry under the Lord. Why is that? Why do we cry under the Lord? Look there in the latter part of verse 9. Because the Lord will receive my prayer. Beloved believing sinner, the believer has special privilege and confidence at the throne of grace to offer up prayers that will be received through Christ our High Priest through Christ's blood, though, through Christ's righteousness. That's why the Apostle writes in Hebrews, when speaking of Christ, our great high priest, he says how he is passed into the heavens and how he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He writes, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Beloved, the Lord will receive our prayer, for he ever liveth to intercede for us. All right, verse 10. Psalm 6, verse 10. Let all mine enemies be ashamed. Let them be troubled and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. This psalm, like those previous psalms we've been studying, show us this solemn distinction, this solemn difference between the righteous and the wicked. In the day of death and judgment, the wicked will be terribly, eternally, and suddenly ashamed. When he hears that pronouncement, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. While those found in Christ will never be ashamed. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45. My sinner friend, there will come a day when all those who have hid themselves under falsehood and lies will be exposed verse 16 they shall be ashamed and also confounded all of them they shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols but israel shall be saved in the lord with an everlasting salvation he shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end beloved we shall never be ashamed We will never be told, Depart. And then look there in verse 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified, and shall glory. Amen.